Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, meet up with some of the really, really interesting and amazing people we get to interact with in this crazy world we're in of self-publishing our books and writing books. And today we have a guest who I'm really excited to speak to because in some ways her, her life sounds like a romance novel of its own. It is Liz Alden who is the author of the Love and Wanderlust series, which is a fantastic series of books. And she writes from a boat, which I just think sounds amazing. So we've got tons of questions for you, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on board. How are you doing today? I am doing excellent. I love your little boat pun already coming on board the podcast, coming on board. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know it's, it's sort of when you have kids immediately like the puns come the dad jokes come it's, it's like getting a superpower um, <laughs> and of course we have the man himself Craig Touch uh, founder and owner of Hidden Gems Books and an author himself how are you doing today Craig? I'm doing well thanks um, yeah this is a, a good uh, talk I, I'm really a fan of traveling when before I had kids <laughs> uh, we used to travel a lot we still travel with them but now it's kind of boring beach vacations which I mean it's I like them but there's only so many times I can go to Jamaica and lie on a beach you know I kind of miss the being able to travel the world and walk around and see things which my kids would never be interested in doing at this point so uh, it's it's kind of really interesting that you're uh, you do that for a living you travel around the world you live on a on a sailboat and you write from that so I think that's really uh, I, I think there's probably a lot of authors out there that that didn't even realize that that was a possibility so you might be opening up a world of, of new things for, for an author to consider when they're thinking about how they can live life on their own terms and, and make money and, and uh, have a great time. So, yeah, thanks for joining. And, uh, you know, where are you now? Are you sailing the world right now? Right now, I am back home in Texas visiting my family. So I was just in Houston for a week, and now I'm in Dallas with my in-laws. The boat is actually up in Rhode Island. And a kind of complicated aspect people don't think about when they consider living on a boat is that you have to be somewhere for hurricane season. And hurricane season is approaching. So we left the Bahamas um, about a month ago and have been up in Rhode Island preparing for the off season for us. Ah, yeah. I see. I never think about hurricane season because I live in Canada and we just, we don't, and nowhere, nowhere near the water. So we don't okay. get hurricanes or anything like that. Never an issue. But we, uh, yeah, that's true. I guess you have to think about stuff like that. Yeah. We did spend a little bit of a summer in Nova Scotia. And of course that was the year that like one of the hurricanes did go up the East coast all the way up towards Nova Scotia. And we were like, really, we came all the way up here. It's not supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah, I don't live near there either. <laughs> so so uh, how does this work? Like, because I'm not really clear. If you're on the boat in the middle of the ocean, I guess you don't need internet to write. Um, and probably it's less distracting. But uh, do you have like a Wi-Fi site? What is it, satellite? Or do you just um, only have Wi-Fi when you're near a port or something? Like, how does that work? Well, this is really changing in uh, it's in the big it's in the middle of a big transition for um, remote workers like myself uh, with SpaceX coming. That's going to be really different. But I'll speak to what we have right now, which is a satellite service, which is like uh, 250 kilobytes per second speed. So not a whole lot of internet browsing or YouTube watching going on there. We are basically sending and receiving text-based messages and text-based emails. So when we're out at sea, I forward all of my emails to our satellite phone and most of them end up not being deliverable because they're too big. So it's very limiting right now, but SpaceX is bringing out their new satellite broadband service and that's going to really be a game changer for people who are looking to have internet connection while sailing so right now when i'm out sailing i don't have internet now 
95% of the time I am on anchor somewhere, hopefully somewhere beautiful and connected to the local cell phone service. That's great. And I mean, one of the advantages, I guess, is 95% of success in writing is not procrastinating because of the internet. Yeah, and the difficulty with that is if I am uh, failing, I'm typically a little bit seasick. So writing is pretty much out for me. I use that time to read in my genre and read craft books, but I don't get any writing done when we're sailing. It's uh, too difficult. Wow. So you're a person who gets seasick but chose to live her life on a boat. That is an interesting choice. I am surprised how many people do get seasick and continue sailing. Now, I am not someone who gets like physically ill, um, like, you know, I'm hugging the toilet or anything, but I just am uncomfortable and a little bit like antsy or a little nauseous depending on the weather uh it amazes me that people can't keep their lunch down and go sailing across oceans but i definitely know people who do and i am not that strong (laughs) (laughs) i've i've been on some from i mean i don't know how big your sailboat is but i've been on some some sailboats and i i imagine that hugging the toilet in a sailboat is not something you want to do regardless <laughs> that's more of a i'm going to just put my head over the uh the rail and let loose that way yep um, yep it is really <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> i'm i'm surprised you can read i, I imagine seasickness is i don't know similar to car sickness uh, in the sense that you know the same sort of things are triggering for it. And usually uh, I thought reading was, was difficult to do uh, for people that are car sick. And I, I would have thought seasick as well, but it's funny. So you're saying you can read, but you can't write. I'm, I'm surprised there's so, so much of a difference there. Yeah, I actually can't read in the car, but I can read on the boat. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I think some of it might have to do with like, I sit up at the helm and I have fresh air coming in and a good view of the horizon, which I know is really important. So that works for me, and reading in the car does not. I I don't know what it is. So, okay, so how does the writing work then? So you wait until you dock and then get all your writing done and, uh, you know, about sort of the things you've seen and the experiences you've had. I imagine that's going to factor into a lot of your writing, which we see by some of your books. They're always set in places that are exotic to most of us, but, um, you know, just old hand to you, I guess. Yes. So all the books in the Love and Wonderless universe are based on my travel or experiences or what I've seen while I've been out in the world. And it's been a really fascinating way to kind of tell my own story, but a fictionalized version of it. And in a setting that speaks to me as my love for, speaks uh, for me as my love as as a romance reader. I'm not sure that's coming out right, but um, I've been able to fictionalize it in this way that brings romance into the story while still exploring exotic destinations, which has been a lot of fun. You know, they say, write what you know, and this is how I've managed to do it. Now, I was going to ask, you're actually fairly recent in romance writing. You started in 2020, is that correct? Yes. My first book published in 2021 in April, so it's been a little over a year. I did try to start writing back in 2018. I flunked my first NaNoWriteMo Um, And then I kind of got more involved in the writing community and started to understand what it took to really write a successful novel. And then I tried again in 2020 when the pandemic hit. And that was what eventually became The Hitchhiker in Panama. And one of the things that really impresses me is like your books are extremely strong right out of the gate. I mean, I always joke about I've written 11 full length novels before I got my first successful one. But (laughs) your books, you know, they're very well, the covers you've got, like they fit right in alongside Tessa Bailey and stuff like that. Um, the, 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 even the taglines, like they're perfect where you, um, kind of sell up front what it is. It's like the rival in South Africa is an only one bed romantic comedy. I mean, if you're a romance 
reader, you know exactly what that means. I think um, the the first one, the Hitchhiker in Panama, you've even got, you know, cinnamon roll romance, because if you're a romance reader, you know what cinnamon roll is. Yes. Yes. I, um, I definitely have a few consistent uh, devices in my books and cinnamon rolls and only one bed are massively one of them. And I, I, from a reader's perspective, because I read so much romance and I've been reading romance for years, I love that aspect and that approach that's taken to romance novels is really putting out there the tropes that you're hitting because some of them are just catnip. Enemies to lovers, only one bed. Wow. Sign me up. I am in as a reader. And so I try to portray that same way as an author. I love that. And, you, and your reviews have been, I mean, like really, really strong all the way through. So what do you think it is that readers like about your books? I think that there's a unique aspect to it. And, you know, some, some advice given to authors is that unique is not necessarily a good thing because people are looking, especially in romance, for like a consistency. But that was what I thought going in, maybe, you know, not really knowing what I was doing in the beginning so much. But I thought, well, this is a unique story. This is a story that I can tell about myself. Now, as for the quality of my books, like I am from the starting gate, I got very lucky with having excellent uh, writing groups that would critique my work. And that has been you know, the first draft of The Hitchhiker in Panama was very different from the book that I published, just in that I wasn't really learning a lot about plot structure and like romancing the beats. But my critique partners and my early writing group were really extremely influ influential with that for me. I did also hire a developmental editor from Readsy, who is very familiar with the romance genre, and she was, she has been fantastic for really helping me polish my books and get them to the point that they are. And I am really proud of how well they've done. And, and it's so exciting to have people be, uh, I would call them super fans this early on in my career. And that's a lot of fun and very, very rewarding. And you're doing it all from a boat in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> that's and even better. Doing, Wait, doing what, it all from wasn't boat, that the yeah. plot? of Romancing the Stone in the 80s with Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas? You know, that has been uh, advised to, or recommended to me so many times and I haven't watched it. I really need to, clearly. Yeah, I saw that, I mean, how many years ago? I don't even, I sort of remember it, but I don't really. I remember liking it's, it, but... Uh, yeah, it's literally a romance writer who lives, because it's a sequel, who lives in a boat and writes. Anyway, I will stop talking about obscure 80s movies. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's, interesting to think of romance writers as um, main characters because we do have a lot of romance novels who have romance writers as main characters and it kind of provides like multiple interesting layers and intricacies to their lives because of what they do and the flexibility it provides in their life and that's one of the things that makes it work for me is that as a writer you can be writing and marketing your books from anywhere as long as you have an internet connection so yeah, there's no reason why people can't up their lives and go live on a sailboat. <laughs> and so you've put yourself in uh, all your your books too. So I assume that's you swinging on the vine uh, on the cover <laughs> of The Hitchhiker in Panama, right? <laughs> you and Tarzan. <laughs> Me and Tarzan. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I think probably a lot of romance writers would say this. There's a little bit of me in all of my heroines and there's a little bit of my husband in all of my heroes. Um, I actually, for subscribers of my newsletter, they have access to all of my bonus material, and that includes behind-the-scenes looks. So I have a picture of my friend in Panama climbing up a vine while we were doing a hike. So that, that you know, is based on a real story of something that I did while hiking in Panama, and that's how it happens in the book. The uh, characters are on a hike and there's vines and the hero climbs up it. So, like, I know that can really happen because I've seen it and experienced it now. I, I was, was going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you um, I imagine, obviously, when you're traveling the world to all these exotic locales, you're taking a lot of pictures. And since you're writing about a lot of this stuff, 
do you uh, do you incorporate any of those? I know a lot of romance books, you know, they don't have uh, pictures in it, but I, I was thinking maybe that's something you would include at the back or something or whatever, but maybe it's, you've done it even better where you've, you've made it sort of this bonus extra for people signing up for your, for your newsletter, which is a fantastic idea, I think. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and it helps me kind of talk about my books, especially in the time leading up, like in the pre-order period. I get to say with my most recent release, which is a short story in an anthology called Summer Vacation, my story takes place in Indonesia, in Bali and in Komodo. So to my newsletter subscribers or to my Instagram followers, I've been sharing photos of Komodo dragons or photos of snorkeling with manta rays to kind of promote like this travel wonderless aspect of my series. And I'm sure it adds, you know, a great level of authenticity. It's one thing, you know, if I want to write a book about Panama, I can go on the internet, I can do some research, right? But I'm not going to have that same level of immersion that you're going to have where you've been there and you've traveled and you can talk about the actual streets that you're on or the hotels that you're staying in or the, you know, the, the, the waterfalls and the, and the, the vines that you're climbing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it makes it a little easy to bring in all of the senses and all of the emotions to the story, I think. Is that how, does that influence where you go? Like, do you, which comes first? (laughs) Do you go somewhere and say, okay, now I'm going to write a book about that? Or do you say, I want to write a book about this place. So let's go to this place. All of my stories so far have been, well, I've been here. Let me write about it. Someday it would be lovely to be like, well, I would like to write a story set here. Let me go, you know expense the trip to wherever and <laughs> write my story after the fact but no it's all been based on my past travels so far I, i'm very interested in that so in 2014 you and your husband were just like okay we're gonna go on a boat and and for six years you where did, you traveled everywhere yes it was a it was something we thought about doing for several years and as you can imagine, it was quite a long process to sell of our sell all of our stuff and buy a boat and move aboard. We moved aboard in 2014, and our goal from the get-go was to do a world circumnavigation, which we finished in March of 2020, right as COVID was hitting, amazingly. We arrived in Antigua in the Caribbean and crossed our wake from four years and three months prior. So we have literally sailed completely around the world. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And, and I mean, listen, when a pandemic hits, a boat in the middle of the ocean is where you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, when we left Brazil to sail, it was, I believe it was 14 days from Brazil to the Caribbean. When we left Brazil, there, were, there was like the first few cases of COVID in Rio. And we were like, oh, that's really far from us. But when we were underway, we were using that really slow internet connection to message with our family. And they were like, well, this has been canceled and this border is closed and there are more cases. So it was a very bizarre time to be out at sea because we don't have the connection that um, keeps us informed on the news. But um, yeah, it's, I saw shirts that said, uh, you know, sailing practicing social distancing before it was cool. So that's exactly what happens. You know, we're out at sea for 14 days and not in contact with anyone. And once we got into the Caribbean, it was like, we know without a doubt that we do not have COVID. We, you know, (laughs) there's no possible way that we've gotten it from anyone and we've incubated and we are good to go. Now, some of the country's bureaucracies doesn't really tailor to that. So we know people, for example, who sailed from Tahiti to Australia during the pandemic and Australia still said, well, you need to quarantine for 14 days. Never mind the fact that you've been alone on a sailboat for three weeks. The bureaucracy just isn't in place to parcel out cruisers who have been isolating versus people who are flying in or people who are coming in on cruise ships or something. It's a very bizarre 
I mean, it's a bizarre time for everyone, but yeah. I guess, you know, there's got to be that that level of trust too, right? Just because you say you haven't, you know, you've been on a boat quarantined and no chance you have it. They don't necessarily know if that's true. So they've got to take precautions, right? That's true. Uh, Although in this day and age of technology, most boats have trackers on them and, um, you know, you have your formality paperwork that you're proving you're using to prove that you've cleared in and out of countries. So it would be not that. But don't you, but don't you have to, I mean, I don't know how big your boat is, but like, don't you have to occasionally stock up? So you got to go to port and, and buy supplies, which means that you're sort of interacting with people or is that, I don't know how that works exactly. So for like our sail from Brazil to the Caribbean over 14 days, that was nonstop. We were not stopping anywhere to provision. We'd done all of that in advance. And um, yeah, it's really uh, on a small boat like ours, you're just kind of going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Amazing. You must get on with your husband if you were willing to be on a boat with him for 14 <laughs> days straight and not interacting with anybody else. I'm, I'm pretty sure my wife would murder me. <laughs> that's something people bring up a lot and yeah the question is like how how do you do that in the hitchhiker in panama they are they set out across the pacific on a and it's five people on the boat and there are difficult crew dynamics and they're out at sea for 25 days my husband and i did the sail across the atlantic in 26 days and it's i mean, I mean never mind like ocean crossings where you're with each other all the time but my husband and I are with each other 24/7 in our regular life like 365 days a year there's hardly any time apart and we are on a 44 foot sailboat which is kind of big for two people but in it, when you're thinking about like living space it is essentially a tiny home and and we don't get out of it on a 14 day ocean crossing, you know, like you do not leave. <laughs> and and that's, I think, why a lot of your books are uh, centered around forced proximity, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That is a big trope I like to hit. And yeah, they're, uh, the first three books in the series uh, all take place on sailboats. So there is definitely that forced proximity aspect. And then you mentioned the rival in South Africa earlier that one's on a safari. So you are in a tent, sharing a tent with someone. And again, that only one bed trope. So you have these these shared experiences and this opportunity to experience in depth what your partner is going to be like. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of want to know that before you buy a boat. <laughs> <laughs> or before you commit long-term to a relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, always, people have their jobs and they go off and they see each other, you know, for a certain amount of time. But with a boat, it's like we're all yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. But in the same vein, you you two share such unique experiences together that nobody else in the entire world can even like. Because, you know, if you go out every day, then you have your, your work relationships and the other relationships and stuff. And you each have independent lives. And there are, but to, to do that together, you share such adventures that must create a really strong bond. Yes, it does. And it's interesting how our our um, retrospective view has changed because now it's like, well, if you're thinking about something that happened in your past, you say, well, I think that was in like, like 2019, but maybe, I don't know, we were living here and that was a broad range. For us, it's like, Oh, I remember because that happened while we were in Tonga and we were in Tonga in June of 2017. So therefore we know exactly when that scenario happened. Um, There's, it just, it kind of narrows everything down to where you were when something happens. And often we, in, in a broad perspective, we look at each other quite frequently and say, can you believe that we've done this. Like we have sailed around the world and we've been to all these amazing places and we're constantly reminded of of places we've been and things that we've done that have just really have made us so fortunate. Now, I was going to ask about the 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 practicalities of writing. It's like, okay, so what do you write on? Do you have a laptop? Do you do a pad? Do you write on your phone? Do you, what's the 
what's the rule there? I have a laptop, which is where I do most of my writing. I think the most unique aspect of my writing style based on my lifestyle is that I'm a big fan of uh, habit forming and developing a schedule. And that is really hard to do in my lifestyle. There are some mornings where I would, I would love to get up every day and get immediately to work, but we have to move the boat because of uh, inclement weather coming, or we have to clear out of the country or we are under sale. And so when I wake up in the morning, I'm feeling nauseous and I can't write. So I never really get to have a consistent schedule that I would like. And that really benefits a lot of writers, but you know, that's a, that's something I've sacrificed and I have to work extra hard at that. I think. That's yeah, funny because you cope with that. Oh, go, no, go ahead, Craig. Well, well no, I, I was going to say that, you know, it's funny because that's actually what I would think would be the opposite case. And I mean, I, I get why it's that way for you because of the seasickness, but um, if a person who didn't get seasick did this and lived their life on a boat and most of the time they were sailing, being able to stick to a schedule would be so much easier because you wouldn't have anywhere else to go, any other things to do other than, you know, making sure you're on course and whatever else you have to do as a sailor, which, you know, other than being a pirate, I don't have a lot of experience uh, <laughs> seeing, but, but um, you, you, uh, you, you would have, like, you'd be able to say, okay, you know, I, I can do all my, my boat stuff at this time and I can write at this time. And I, then I, you know, so you, you would, I would think have the ability to have a really rigid schedule, but because you can't even write on the boat and that's where the majority of your time is spent. So what do you do? Do you end up, docking and then running to a uh, uh like a uh starbucks in tonga <laughs> or uh you know or or can you can you ride on the boat when you're docked or is it still because it's moving with the waves and everything yeah so most of the time on the boat we are at anchor and like 95 percent of the time so that is fine for me to write most of the time unless we're like in really inclement weather and yeah i i mean when I'm out at sea sailing, I would love to be able to write because my my day is fairly open. This, the boat is doing her thing typically, and we don't have to we don't have to put a lot of work into it. But the seasickness thing really kicks my butt. So, um, you know, that's like eight hours a day of lost productivity where I could be writing. Um, but yeah, during during times when we're in in locations where at anchor or we're at dock writing is much easier now like i said there's a lot of things that to, there we have spent time in uh on land in uh staying in airbnbs where my husband and i both are working from home basically and that's been great that's like really a consistent schedule and we get a lot of writing done but on the boat there's so much to do to maintain the lifestyle we are always having to uh, think ahead and we have a, a project list. So our boat is essentially like a job. And when we need to repair something, it's, you know, um, taking multiple trips to the store and there's not a Home Depot or a West Marine nearby. So we have to, uh, it, it's an, a much more involved process to get anything done as opposed to like a small home improvement project. And then there's just the other aspects of the lifestyle, like clearing out or weather or, um, you know, also enjoying it. <laughs> like there are, there are certain things that we don't want to miss out on just because we're both working from the boat. So it does make it really hard to create a schedule. I try the best that I can. Right now I'm doing a um, – through the wide for the win Facebook group, I'm doing a hundred day writing challenge, you know, where you're just trying to write 250 words a day. And it's a little bit easier because we're on land, although right now we're visiting family and doing a lot of things, but trying to build that consistency level on the boat is really hard and something I'm still struggling with. Um, when I started writing the Hitchhiker in Panama, that was when we arrived in Antigua and everybody was going into lockdown and we were not allowed to get off the boat. So that was like, wow, okay, 
I'm going to win NaNoWriteMo this month because there's very little else that I can do. I can't go for walks or go hiking or go snorkeling or do any of the things that I would do for fun. And we're not having social hours. We're not able to get um, access to boat parts to do projects. So it was like, that was a, a game changer for me for a while. Um, I think uh, I would say I really thrived under COVID in terms of my writing. And uh, that that led to being able to publish so many books in the short time frame that I have. If you're not I, able I to get, sorry, okay, my, okay. well, my question is, is not really related to writing, but it's more, again, all these things you're saying, I'm just thinking about this, like, how does that seem more? If you're not able to leave the boat, and you you dock somewhere and you you know you're on this like massive trip around the world or wherever i mean how do you provision like say you were docking because you're out of food and they're like yeah you can't get off the boat so what and it's not like you can order it can you i mean it's not like you can call up uber eats and say to, to bring me a bunch of boat supplies to my boat it's uh, it was a little complicated in Antigua. We actually stayed in Antigua for two and a half months and we were, we knew it was coming, that lockdown was coming and thankfully they didn't have any shortages. So we stocked up the boat really well. And then after I think three or four weeks, they were allowing people on shore certain times of day to, uh, get groceries. So it was a complicated thing to balance, but during the early stages of the pandemic, we were pretty much stationary on the boat, um, not really going anywhere. Some people did, but it made it really complicated to be uh, clearing into countries and quarantining and then having to get supplies. And yeah, it's it was a very complicated time for boaters. Wow. All right, go ahead, Roland. I'm sure your question is much more relevant. <laughs> Well, I, know I was. I think it, it's funny. I'm really interested in all of the things that you've done successfully that add up to how you've been able to achieve quite a lot of success in quite a short amount of time. And I guess consistency is one of those things because I know my periods when I've been earning the most, when I've been, you know, sitting down writing two thousand words a day every single day. If if you do that and you have the ability to improve your writing, you really can't fail. So, how do you overcome the challenge of having the not being able to schedule these things because I want to I want to know because I have three kids and I'm home <laughs> all the time and it's going to be the summer holiday so if you could teach me oh I would appreciate it for me one of the big successful things has been NaNoWriteMo and so in that first year in in 2020 I did all three NaNoWriteMo programs so that was April July and uh, November and setting that goal and the deadline like the July one was especially hard because we did sail from Antigua up to um, Norfolk, Virginia. So, you know, that was a, like a week where I couldn't write. But as the end of the month approached, I was like, I am, I am going to win this month, even if it means that I have to write 7,000 word days towards the end. Like I am, I'm self-motivated enough that I could say, well, I really want to do this. It also helped me to have the writing groups that I talked about earlier. Like I've been very fortunate to find good writing groups. And so to tell them and, and ask them to critique me and say, well, I'm going to have this draft to you by June 30th. So you are depending on me and I am going to get it done. And I treat my editors the same way. And actually in my last manuscript, I sent it to my, uh, this was the, the player in New Zealand my release that came out in March. I sent the manuscript to my developmental editor like just before midnight or after midnight, an hour after midnight. I said, well, I told you I was going to get it to you on this date and I'm an hour late. And she said, well, you know, it, you're setting your own date. It's fine. And I'm like, no, you, you can't let me have that attitude. I have to, if I tell you as an editor that I'm going to get the book to you by X date, then that is what I'm going to stick to. And I am not going to let myself um, slide. So, you know, some people say, well, I've been working on this book for six months and I'm getting close. And so my advice would be, you know, book your, your editor. It doesn't have to be a developmental editor. It could be a copy editor, or it could be tell your friends that your writing friends, go ahead and book in 
a critique partner and tell them the date that you're going to get this manuscript to you and how many words it's going to that you're going to get the manuscript to them and how many words it's going to be and put that pressure on yourself and that's not going to work for everyone but it works for me and that helps me get my books done and make progress so um, are you a plotter or a pantser? You strike me as a plotter because you talk about romance and the beats and the structure and stuff. And uh, do you structure your books out beforehand? And is that one of the things that might help you with the writing process? Because if you know what you've got to write rather than making it up as you go along, I find it, it helps. I have tried really hard to become a plotter. It's not always super successful, but I think that in doing my first NaNoWriMo back in 2018 and failing, that was a really good lesson for me on why it helps to be a plotter. And what happened, and, and I have continued to have this ingrained in me with every draft that I write, I get to about halfway, like 27, 30,000 words for a contemporary romance and kind of like hit a slump. And that's what happened with my very first manuscript. Like I got to uh, 30,000 words and I was like, well, I know that I need more, but I don't know where I'm going from here. And since then, you know, I've learned to, um, to, to, to plot better in the beginning, to figure out what my main beats are going to be. I write out the tropes that I'm going to use, which is, you know, just super important in romance and to make sure that my character ar archetypes are going to mesh with those tropes. And then once I, so I'm, this hasn't helped me not hit the halfway slump, but it has helped me figure out what to do when I hit the halfway slump, which is to stop writing because nothing's coming out and then reread everything that I've written, kind of replot it out and then figure out based on romancing the beats or on my original plot where I need to fill in the story and write more scenes and strengthen strengthen more beats of the book. So I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to be a plotter. I, I get a little bit of plotting done and then I pants it and then I plot it again and then I pants it some more and I just kind of keep going until it works out. <laughs> well, that's the important thing is that it works out that you get your HEA. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So now that you're, uh, you, you know, you've gone around the world. So what's the plan uh, now once you get back on the boat? I know you're in Texas now, but, um, you know, once you start sailing again, are you, you've gone around the world. So what else is there to do? <laughs> there the is, the, right? <laughs> do it again, but faster. <laughs> <laughs> there is a never ending uh, list of places that we want to visit. So we finished the circumnavigation in 2020 and because of COVID that was uh, just bizarre. And we ended up taking almost a year off of the boat. Um, and then we cruised the Chesapeake Bay in the United States. We went down to the Bahamas in the winter. And so winter and spring are peak season for cruising the Bahamas. And then just last month, about a month ago, actually, we sailed up to Rhode Island, which is where the boat is now. And that this past year is kind of what it's going to be like for us for the next few years. We're going to spend the hurricane season uh, on the East Coast. And then for the peak cruising season, we will head back south to the Caribbean, the Bahamas, um, somewhere around there and like enjoy the winter as the cruisers. So it's interesting. We're going to get. It, you know, splitting our time between the two, the East Coast and the Caribbean, we'll get two very different experiences. And it's kind of a easier, more enjoyable cruising. Uh, cruising around the world is like uh, long ocean passages and dealing with a lot of bureaucracy and constantly being on the move. So we're trying to slow down a little bit. And that should hopefully help out my writing career a little bit more and my husband also works from the boat a little bit so we're trying to change uh, our focus from the circumnavigation towards writing and what my husband does 
So what can I ask? What does he do? Because it seems like his potential jobs would be fairly limited, especially because your internet is so limited. I don't know. What would he do? He drives the boat and hands you mimosas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell him that's in his job description now. (laughs) Um, He does investing. He does uh, our YouTube channel. We have a sailing YouTube channel. So he does all of that. And he also is working on a marine related app with his brother. So that is a uh, coming soon project. Okay. So those are things that I guess you could do, even if you don't have internet connection, you can film a video while you're on the boat and then just upload it. You know, once you, once you have a better connection, you can code, uh, you don't have to actually, you know, upload it to anywhere until you're, you're at the, uh, at the port or whatever. So that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where would you go if you, um, you know, aside from hurricane season there, what's your, like, where haven't you been that you really want to get to and write a book about probably? (laughs) We have not done the, probably the number one place I want to go that I haven't been is the Sea of Cortez in Mexico. And that is a little bit tricky to get to because of the way that winds and currents work on the West coast of the United States. So it, and it would involve going through the Panama canal again, which is a big commitment. So that's not something that's in our near future, but I hope that we'll be able to do that someday outside of the sailing. Um, not that people don't sail up there, but I would, personally not want to sail to like Scandinavia. I would love to go see the Northern Lights, but our boat is not a cold weather boat and I am not a cold weather person. So (laughs) getting the boat up there would be kind of miserable for me, but hopefully someday we can fly over and see all that. Yeah. I guess there's a bunch of landlocked countries too, that you're, you know, you're not going to get to see unless you actually fly over there or drive or something right yes that's absolutely true and something that a lot of people are surprised by even though it once you think about it it makes sense like our our trip with however many countries we've been to and all the years we've spent traveling it's mostly coastal um destinations so we have a few times taken a train or flown into like the center of a country or into a landlocked area but we're by the water all the time and that has its uh, benefits and it has its limitations so we get lots of beautiful beaches but sometimes um, we're visiting places that are more all-inclusive resorts and uh, beach bars when really we want like the culture of the country that we're in and we would need to go further inland to see those kind of things Yes, exactly. That's that was always my issue with going to the places that we end up going to with the kids. You know, before we had kids, we went on a cruise that uh, you know stopped at a number of places, and in one country, um, I don't even remember which one it was now, but um, we got off the boat and well, you know, it's on a cruise, so they're telling you, oh, you know, do this tour and do this tour and whatever, right? And those tours are always well. A, they're super expensive, but B, you know, they're just taking you to the tourist spots, right? So what we did was we went and we just found a cabbie and we said to him, show us the, the, like the real island, take us to your places, take us to, show us what this place is all about. And that was one of the best things we ever did because we went into these back areas and things that most tourists aren't going to see in that country. And he was showing us like his, I think he drove by his own little house and, you know, he took us to a market that he goes to. And it was just, it was so interesting to see that instead of, you know, what the crews wanted us to see and buy and do. Right. Yeah. And we've been very fortunate to have experiences like that where we get to meet a local and they show us like their version of the country, which is amazing. And, and something that, yeah, is really hard to have happen organically. And I, I yeah. totally feel you with the traveling with kids, like that is a whole nother level of travel and that is hard. And it, 
it, it may surprise you to hear that there are quite a few boats that have kids on board, traveling around with their kids, doing the circumnavigation with kids. Blows my mind. I have no idea how they do it. That's a whole other advanced yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I think to go back to that, it's like um, you know, if you're traveling and um, doing this kind of thing and writing from your experiences, you kind of have to see the real side of it. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get the authenticity. People don't want to read. I mean, I guess it depends on on your story, but if your whole story centers around all the touristy areas of the of the country, then it's not quite the same as if you're really immersed in telling them, the, you know, the real parts of the, of the country. So I guess if, yeah, if it's a beach adventure, then that's fine. But if you're, if you're traveling through the, the jungles of Panama, you know, you don't want to have only visited the, uh, the shops that sell you the keychains about Panama. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's, um, it's something I kind of lucked into with the sailing romances that I wrote, because as sailors, we are often not in super popular places. So the jungle adventure is something that not many people who flew into Panama would do. But also in, in what I call like wonderless romances, the travel destination romances, you get, you get the romances for people who are on vacation and you get the people who are locals. And so within that, you have a sense like, well, I'm on vacation, it's temporary, or the built in conflict of like, I am on vacation, you are a local and you live here. And like, how can we see this working in the future? Like, how is that? How, how are we going to get our happily ever after when we don't live in the same place? It's kind of a uh, ingrained aspect of that romance genre right so before we wrap this up uh do you have any advice for you know authors that are looking to sort of break into this travel romance lifestyle that you have mastered (laughs) well i think it's wonderful to Mm -hmm. write about a place you've been but i know that that is not how everyone approaches it i know some people who've written about places that they haven't been to and then they go to visit that place and it's it's almost like a cautionary tale because they're like oh I could have included this little bit and I wish I'd done that and the one person I'm thinking of is a traditionally published author so she doesn't have that opportunity to circle back and uh, as easily update her book but it's it's still viewing even if you haven't been to a place you there especially in the day of technology days and age of technology there are so many people who have shared those experiences so even places that i've been and i'm writing about if i need a refresher i am on pinterest and i'm looking for you know um top things to do in panama city or whatever to refresh my memory and i'm i also write a blog about my sailing adventures. So I have written that kind of history down, not just for myself, but for other people. So there's a lot of opportunities out there to approach new and different places and kind of, um, you know, we we have people who are writing fantasy and sci-fi or, or, you know, anything in the speculative area where you're doing a lot of world building. And um, that's not so different or, I mean, it's even harder than placing your story in a real world place because there are so many resources nowadays. I that first book that I tried to write in 2018 was set in New York in uh, New York City, and it was a place that I've been to and I've loved, but I was still going in and taking tours of digital tours of the museums and doing my research to make sure the location fit what I remembered. And so there's, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that anybody needs to shy away from writing an exotic destination romance. Well, we're not hearing, I'm not hearing you there, uh, Roland. Are you on mute? Yeah, you're on mute. 
<laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, we had the law here. Yeah, so but maybe sometimes the law of attraction takes you there eventually when you write about it. I've had the weird experience of writing about places that I hadn't been to and then going there. And it's yeah. It's kind of, Did you um, was there a moment where you were like um did you were you like seeing yourself as part of that story then you know like how was that it was it was really it was really interesting and it, yeah in some ways it was kind of it makes you have an attachment to the story because you've set it there for a reason and then you go there eventually and some things don't match your expectations <laughs> and some things do and sometimes you're like oh i, I did that quite well good job <laughs> but I think that's what makes uh, that's what makes writing so nice. What is it? Anis Neen said, uh, "Writers get to enjoy life twice: once the original time, and secondly through retrospect." Which I always like about that. Yeah, that is fantastic, and I can see like I one comes to mind in the sail in Polynesia, my second book. She's in my favorite place in the world, which is French Polynesia. So to be able to have lived snorkeling with reef sharks in the Fakarava path and then to write it and then to read it over and over again you know it's like how many times we read our we read our own books um that is getting to experience that place dozens of times probably <laughs> oh well you know what we are approaching the the top of the hour but what a wonderful way to wrap it up it has been so lovely to speak to you Liz and like um oh so many interesting things to take away I mean I found it really valuable the stuff you were talking about you know the writing schedule and, and going around so thank you so much for joining us Craig do you have any anything else to add uh I know I thanks for 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 telling us all this and I mean I have to go now and, and sell everything I own and buy a boat so <laughs> <laughs> but you know th thanks for explaining this because I really think that this is something a lot of people will want to do or at least you know even if they don't do it uh, as a full-time thing, you know, to be able to, you know, even just schedule some of your vacations to places that, you know, you want to write, maybe take a little bit longer and do some of your writing while you're there. It's when you're really immersed in it, you know, and, and then maybe you can write it off. You know, I know that I did that once when I, uh, when I was writing and I, I went to Vegas as I did every year. And, uh, but that year I wrote a book set in Vegas and I wrote that trip off. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if you decide to sell everything up and move on board, you know, give me a call. I'm happy to give some advice. So, yeah, um, it's definitely a different lifestyle, and it's been it's been very rewarding, but also very challenging. And and I'm fortunate to be able to do it. Well, that is lovely, so Liz. Thank you so much. Now, where can people find your books? I mean, obviously, we'll put a link down to your website below. But if people are going to try and find you online, where where would you want to send them? Yes, my website is lizalden.com, so L-I-Z-A-L-D-E-N.com. And by signing up for my newsletter, as I said, you get access to the behind-the-scenes photos and a bonus epilogue and uh, previews for all of my books. And then my books are available wide, so any retailer that you choose to find them, you can find the Love and Wonderless series right now. And then I have two more series coming out this year. That is wonderful. Well, Liz, thank you so much. Uh, if anybody is listening or watching, well, hopefully, hopefully they are. <laughs> uh, don't forget to leave a comment uh, down below telling us what you thought of Liz um, and all of the things that she's told us. Give us a, a, a thumbs up and a like. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And Craig and I will be back with another episode of Fully Booked next week. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye bye.